0: Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. Good morning again, True North. Thank you for being here on a Sunday. My name is Kathleen, and I'm part of the teaching team here at True North. Today, we are going to be looking at the book of Esther, chapter four. We are in week three of our four-part series right here, right now. So I want to start by giving you a little bit of background on the Book of Esther. The Bible itself is created with 66 different distinct books, and two of them are named for women. One is the Book of Ruth, and the other one is the book that we are reading from today, the Book of Esther. And there's also one other piece of information that's really interesting about the book of Esther. The name of God is never mentioned once. It may seem like God is absent, but that's not the case at all. What we learn through the book of Esther is God is always working, even in the background, when we might not feel it. So we're going to do a recap of the past two weeks. Don't get too worried, everybody. I am not going to read you the entire Bible like Pastor Bobby did last week. <laughs> <I> <laughs> he said that was okay. I cleared that. <laughs> So, sometimes we've heard this story or we've seen it in movies as a Cinderella rag to riches story. Um, we, all, we see it as everybody wants to be a princess. I do kind of want to be a princess, I'm not going to lie. Um, Meghan Markle gave me a little bit of hope. Um, I love my husband. Um, <laughs> but this is We're told the story of a refugee girl, and she wins a contest, and she saves the day. And then every year, we throw this big, giant party to remember what she did. That's not all what this story is about. Esther was a Jewish orphan girl living in the Persian Empire, the largest empire in the world, over 5 million square miles from Greece, to India, and to Egypt. And what we learn is King Xerxes, the emperor of Persia, has banished his first queen. And now, he's looking for someone else. So he launches a nationwide search for a new wife. And what he does is order every young virgin girl to be abducted from her home and her family all so that King Xerxes and his physical desires could be satisfied. He didn't even care about the human or emotional cost. Only one woman out of those thousands would be selected as queen. So what happened to all those other girls? They were given a life sentence to be imprisoned in a harem forever. They were treated as hopeless, childless, childless widows, and they never saw their families again. And we also think that about that first time Esther and Xerxes meet. Sometimes it's in movies where Xerxes is on his throne, and in walks Esther, and everyone looks at her and goes, oh, You're so beautiful. But that's not what happened at all, either because when Esther goes before the king, she is probably trembling in fear. She is terrified. This is a traumatic moment in her life. She is demoralized by the king, and she's sexually assaulted. But yes, Esther did become king, queen, and it says that is because Xerxes loved her. We have one word in the English language for love, but there are many other words in other languages. And the word used here does not mean that he had an intimate love for Esther. It means he found her physically beautiful, was enthralled by her, and he lusted after her. And Esther was queen then, without her consent. She had to hide her Jewish background and she was married to a man who was at least 25 years older than she was. Esther was completely helpless in that situation. Esther had a cousin, his name was Mordecai, and he was an official in the city of Persia. And he screws up in a way that will affect the rest of his future. He refuses to bow down to the second in command, a man named Haman. I was told in between services if you come from a Jewish background, hearing Haman spoken and no one and everyone being silent is very strange because even the name Haman in Jewish tradition today is a swear word. And any time a Jewish person hears the name Haman when they read the story, You're supposed to go, boo, no. So if you are a Jewish person, it might be weird to hear us just say his name. And Haman and Mordecai were cultural enemies. And Mordecai refuses to bow to the second-in-command, Haman. He doesn't do this because he believes that God is greater than anyone or he only bows to those whom he respects he does this because centuries ago Haman's people, the Amalekites, and the Jewish people were in war together, and it was a brutal war. And so Mordecai lets his pride go before him, and he refuses to bow. And But this it sounds like this big, huge thing, because a bow back at that time was like a handshake. This feud that these guys would have had is like you or I going to see the King of England and refusing to curtsy. This whole thing happened so long ago, but Mordecai can't get past it. And so Haman is completely offended. He's livid that Mordecai and his pride and this offense could ever happen to him. And so he consults with the king, and it is decided that in one year, every single Jewish man, woman, and child would be killed. And this happens all because of one man's misguided pride. So here we land at the beginning of Esther chapter four, and we look out, and we see the city gates, and we see Mordecai and he's wearing sackcloth, which is the clothing of those who are mourning, and he's covered in ashes, and he's screaming, and he's wailing, and he's weeping, because he knows it's because of what he alone did that he just doomed his own people. Because of his pride, his hatred, and his paltry conduct, he is now absolutely racked with guilt and sorrow. This is all Mordecai's own fault. But he's not just mourning. Mordecai's had a change happen in him. He realizes that pride caused this huge consequence. His mourning is also repenting. He's turning away from that pride and turning towards something bigger than himself. He's realizing he is not in control. And that's a really good thing, because he never should be in control based on the way he can't control his anger and he can't control his pride. And what happens here is he needs to figure out what to do. I totally empathize with Mordecai here, and I bet all of you get it too, that you've had a moment in your life where maybe you screwed up, you said something wrong, you did something wrong, you hurt someone you love, and now there are consequences, and you would do anything in your power to fix this situation, but you don't know what to do. So you scream, and you yell, and you get angry. And that's what Mordecai was doing. But he had one person who he knew might be able to help. And that is Queen Esther, who we find locked away in the palace. She really can't leave, and she is totally oblivious to what's happening. And so someone comes to her and says, hey, uh, your cousin Mordecai, he's not looking good. He's out in front of everybody. He's wearing rags. He's screaming and he's crying. Uh, You better check in on him. So this is an ancient way of how you or I would log on to Facebook or Instagram and be scrolling through, and Mordecai would be this picture looking drawn and really upset, covered in ashes, and it would say, not going to be a good year. Sorry, guys. This vague post. And then you'd see all the comments. Love you. So sorry. Thoughts and prayers. That, that's what's happening here between Esther and Mordecai. So she is completely clueless as the only thing she knows is he doesn't look good. So she sends him some clothes. Quite frankly, during the pandemic, Stitch Fix was very helpful to me. But for Mordecai, this was not what he needed at all. And so Mordecai tells this messenger, go to Esther, tell her the whole story. She needs to hear, read her this whole edict. She needs to hear what's going on. And so, the whole story is told to her. Even the part where his prideful actions cause Haman to go on this murderous spree. And Mordecai just pleads, Esther, you have to do something. You have to do something. But remember, now she's loaded with emotions. She doesn't even know what's going on. She had no clue. She could die. Those she loved would die. This is all hitting her hard. So she does what you or I would have done. She hesitates. She starts making excuses. And she has two really good excuses that she tries to use. Number one, she knows she could die no matter what. No one goes to see the king, not even his own wife, without being invited. If you go and see the king and he doesn't extend his golden scepter to you, you could be killed on the spot. So Esther's afraid. And then the other problem, Esther has not been called into the presence of the king for 30 days. That means she would be distraught and concerned because it seems as though she has been forgotten. Just like all those other concubines, Xerxes might have moved on and found another woman to satisfy him. So Esther says, I can't help you. And then Mordecai sends this next message and he's brutally clear. And we see this in Esther chapter 4 starting with verse 13. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Do not think for a moment that because you are in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. That line, for such a time as this. Probably the most famous words in the book of Esther. And so Mordecai reminds Esther of all that she's been through. In that moment, everything must have just come rushing back to her. She was stolen from her family. She had lost her Jewish identity. She was carted away and became queen to a man who threw out his last wife. She was isolated and forgotten. She had all that trauma and all that pain in her past. But perhaps there was more behind all of this. And there was, there was a promise. This promise was made to Esther's ancestors long before she was born. When God spoke to Abraham and he promised Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith, that God promised to bless them He promised to be with them, and he promised they would prosper. And then later, after the Jews had fled from Egypt, God promised that they were his chosen people, that he would go before them and stand behind them, and that he would be faithful to them. This promise means even if we can't feel him, if we don't feel God speaking to us, God is still in our midst. Even if we are dealing with the pain in our past, even if we are recovering from trauma and we feel isolated, when every day feels brutal and you feel helpless and ineffective, this promise still holds true in our lives. And Esther, as a young Jewish girl, she would have had this promise come right back into her head. She would have known God is faithful and that God cannot break his promises. But let's just take a side note here. Did God really need Esther? No. God can do whatever he wants. He could have struck Haman dead right then and there could have come to Xerxes in a prophetic dream, lit fire and lit burning bushes, sent frogs down in the rain. He did all of that, but he didn't do that this time. He decided to choose Esther. We don't know why either. The only thing we read is that Esther was beautiful and lovely. It doesn't say anywhere that she's courageous, that she develops strong, displays strong leadership skills, or that she's a great public speaker. In fact, she was once a poor, powerless, unprepared little girl. But God chose her from all those other girls, and she became queen. He chose her despite her past, and he chose her for this specific moment, at this specific time. And this must have been the moment that Esther clings to that promise. That promise from her past, that for the past five years, her being queen and going through all that she went through was meant for such a time as this. So Esther now sends a reply to Mordecai which we read starting with verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away, and everything, and did everything that Esther had ordered him. Other versions read that Esther said, If I perish, I perish. This reply from Esther to Mordecai is the closest thing we get to a glimpse of faith in the life of Esther. It's that glimpse that lets us believe that she believed she understood and knew God's promise. And then, after she says what she's going to do, she says that she and her maids will fast for three days round the clock. And fasting in the Bible is usually linked to praying. So it's highly likely that for a solid three days and nights, Esther and her maids are praying and fasting, praying and fasting praying and fasting. And this is really shocking, because why did Xerxes love Esther? Because she was beautiful. And he has not seen her in 30 days. But she is going to be drawn, she's going to be dirty, and she doesn't care. She's going to go to her god before she can approach her king. (coughs) Esther's decision was not just to protect herself, she knew she had the chance to protect the 750,000 Jewish people, her people. And she will go on to save generations of Jewish people if she can go in front of the king. So she trusts that promise of her God to be with her. What about you? Do you trust God's promises? Do you believe? in the midst of your pain and your trauma, that God is there with you? What do you do when you have to make a difficult choice? Hopefully you or I are never going to have to have a choice like stopping a global genocide. (laughs) Yeah. But you and I are going to have to make choices every single day. Are you gonna make excuses? Are you gonna say, I'm too busy, I have somewhere else to go, I'm just comfortable, I'm gonna stay in my comfort zone, and I'm just gonna say, you know what? I can't do this, I'm not prepared, I'm not ready, woe is me. But that's not what God tells us to do, or what he told Esther. He tells us to trust his promises. Trust that God is with us, that God is in control, and that God can redeem our past He can take those ashes, those dirty rags, and turn them into something beautiful. So Esther makes that hard decision where she remembers those promises of God. And she remembers, even though she can't see it, that God is active and that God is moving. Esther's choice and her actions are inspired by God to bring hope to other people and to people that she could possibly save. Jesus, generations later, that Jewish carpenter from Nazareth, our eternal King, willingly went to his death to save us. Jesus knew his heavenly Father was in control. While Esther risked her life and could be killed, Jesus knew he would be killed and gave his life so that we would be saved. He perished, he rose again so that we can live in hope. He's that mediator for us. We don't have to be afraid to approach the king because Jesus stands in that gap, giving us his grace and his mercy. Even though we're gonna find ourselves in a hopeless situation, and it's easy to doubt the presence of God, you get to cling to Jesus's promises that he is with us always. God's always working in the background of our lives. He's always in control even amidst the drama, the trauma, and the craziness when we feel like we are spiraling. But there's another really awesome part to this. We aren't going to get it all together, and that's okay. We don't have to fix it all on our own, because we can't. But something's going to happen, and it's a little scary to think of. You might have you are such a time as this moment coming. And that might be a really frightening thing to you. But that moment you might have where you could make that decision that's all or nothing. But it's not something to worry about because in those moments when you think God is absent, you can turn to Him, trusting the promise that He is right there. We just need to listen, be willing to hear what God is prompting us to do next. We can trust God's promise from thousands and thousands of years ago that go thousands of years into the future, that He promises to be with us no matter what, and that He could give us a role to play in his amazing story so be prepared so that god can use you for such a time as this let's pray together thank you god for your promise this ancient promise that you made to abraham to esther and to us remind us god that we're not alone Remind us when we feel alone, when we feel out of control, that you are in control and that you are for us. And you're for us, for your good and for your glory, Lord. We thank you that you give us the privilege to come before you without fear, that we can pray to you and know you are there to guide us and help us. Help us, Lord, to trust that promise each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.